Uh, it has been a glorious morning of worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's reminded us today he's in charge of the thermostat. Amen. <laughs> I heard there was forecasted snow for Wednesday of this week, so keep the warm clothes out for the rest of the week. It is an honor and a privilege to stand here in this pulpit today and to share with you, to get to speak on behalf of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I just always, when I worship with a church in our panhandle, I don't know what that business was about popular preacher, but anyway, uh, when I get to worship with one of the churches across our panhandle, uh, I, I'm just always impressed and amazed by the ways, the different ways we all worship. So I thought we'd do a quick little pop test or review just to see if you were really paying attention because you said some pretty amazing things this morning as you were singing. You said, you know, all we need is you, Jesus. Now, I, did you mean that? All we need is you, Jesus. And, and then we sang, we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the resurrection and that he's coming back again. We believe. We sang that. I, I, sometimes I think if we put Kellogg's Makes Great Cereal on that screen, we would sing, Kellogg's Makes Great Cereal. Yeah. We, we really need to think about our worship and who we've gathered to worship today. It is in Jesus Christ. There is freedom. There is healing. There is power. There is salvation. And there is life in the name of Jesus. That's what we sang about today. That's who we've gathered to worship here today. So let's take his word and open it to John chapter 9 and 10. We're actually going to focus on one verse in John chapter 10. But we will refer back to John chapter 9 as well. I want to talk to us a little this morning about engaging the future. You know, the, the past is the past, and whatever's happened in the past is done. But the future lies ahead of us, whether it's in a new year or whether it's just in tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and so I want us to think a little together this morning about how we might engage the future. What sort of vision personally do you have for this year, for the future uh, in your life? You know, someone described a vision as a picture of the future that stirs passion within you. Vision, a picture of the future that stirs passion within you. Now, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious sometimes to see what our passion is, but what are you passionate about? As you think about your relationship to Jesus Christ, as you think about being his church, what are you passionate about? Obviously, some of you are passionate about missions. Your pastor is away doing missions and involved in missions and checking with missionaries who have been sent out of this church, and we thank God for that, of course. But what are you passionate about? What, what methods did Jesus use? Let's look at that this morning and think together. What methods did Jesus use to engage others in the future that he had for them? So let's review. What did Jesus say while he was here on earth? Well, first of all, uh, Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man, I'll get it started and you help me finish it. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, right? So he was clear about his purpose. Is anybody not clear on why Jesus came when he was here on earth? He came to seek and to save those who were far away from God, those who had something between them and God, and we all have had that at some point in our life. Some are still struggling with that today. A second statement Jesus made, he said, follow me. How, how does it go? Some of you know the rest of this. Follow me and I will make you fishers of 
men. Now, he originally made that statement to some fishermen, right? In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he originally, they were fishers of fish. But he said, if you follow me, your life's going to change. Your focus is going to change. Your passion is going to change. Your direction, your vision is going to change. And you think about, well, wait a minute, preacher. I didn't sign up for that. I'm going to change. I'm going to, my, my whole focus of life is going to change. But I gave so many years to college and to student loans and to, yeah. And he's going to use that. And he's going to use you. Follow me, he said. And I will make you fishers of men. He articulated a future where others were invited to engage with him in his redemptive purpose here on earth. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's his redemptive purpose. And now he's inviting us, follow me, and I will make you, I will in, invite you to join with me or engage with me in this same purpose. And then in Luke 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross how often? Daily. Take up his cross every day. Yeah, but I've got a job, Jesus. Yeah, take it with you. Take that with you to your job, wherever that job is. Take up your cross daily, he said, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, Jesus was clear about the cost involved for those who join him in his redemptive purpose. It's going to cost you. Uh, it's going to push you out of your comfort zone. It's not going to be just all peaches and cream and easy life and rose-colored glasses. No, it's, there's going to be a cost. So in a very practical or everyday way, what does engaging with Jesus in his redemptive purpose in your life look like? Thank you for asking. That's a great opening question. Let's go with that. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, let's notice this one verse. Jesus is speaking in John 10 and verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. That's why Jesus said he came, not only to seek and save the lost, but for those who are here to give us abundant life. Where? Here and now and into eternity. It's interesting. We, we focus a lot on making sure people have some sort of sense of security for their eternity. But what about the life here and now? What about now? <laughs> How do we engage with Jesus and his redemptive purpose in this life here and now? It's called abundant life. So how do we align our life path with that of Jesus and his redemptive purpose? Let's check the context of John 10, 10 and discover how Jesus articulated his vision for you by looking back one chapter. Go back to John chapter 9. And in chapter 9, we'll see how our lives are to bring glory to God as seen in the story of Jesus healing the man who was born blind. We're going to pick up the story at verse 28. So John chapter 9 and beginning at verse 28. It says, and they reviled him. Now this is the Pharisees, this formerly blind man, blind from birth, now healed, now seeing, was brought before the Pharisees. And it says in verse, for questioning, and it says in verse 28, they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we, <coughs> we are disciples of Moses. Can you see that? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Verse 30, check this. 
The formerly blind man is now teaching the teachers of the law. And he says, this, this is, are, you, are you for real? This is an amazing thing, he says in verse 30. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Hmm. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now look, of course, they received that with warm and glad tidings, right? No, verse 34, look what it says. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. <laughs> yeah, humility is an interesting thing. Some quick, just some quick pop lessons from this little experience of this formerly blind man with these Pharisees. First of all, I want you to see in, in John chapter 9, and boy, I'd encourage you this afternoon, go back and reread the whole chapter, John chapter 9. I know y'all are reading the New Testament through before Easter, but I'd still encourage you to go back and look at John chapter 9 today. God does new things to bring glory to himself, lesson number one. God does new things to bring glory to himself. Go back up to verse 3 in John chapter 9. Uh, his disciples were asking him about this guy that was born blind. Jesus, was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? You know, why, why is this man born blind? Was it his sin or their sin? And what does Jesus say in verse 3? Uh, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God does new things. He heals people born blind to get glory to his name. New things. A second lesson from this little text is Someone blind from birth had never been healed, according to verse 32. This had never happened before. A third lesson is healing takes place. This healing, specifically of this man born blind, according to verse 14, indicates that it happened on a Sabbath. Well, hey, we don't do any work on a Sabbath if we're a Pharisee, right? What does it teach us about Jesus? I believe we can see here that Jesus values relationships over rules every time. Jesus values relationships. And friend, listen, let me just say, if you came here today and kind of snuck in the back door, <laughs> hoping nobody would see me and I'm going to scoot out before anybody else might see me, then take this with you, if you will. Jesus loves you. He values relationships more than whatever else might be hindering you today. A fourth quick lesson from this reading is, we must all be careful to guard against spiritual arrogance or we might miss the new thing that would bring glory to God. Verse 34, uh, excuse me, verse, yeah, 34. We're, we're disciples of Moses, right? You hear that spiritual arrogance? I mean, I've been at Hillcrest all my life. <laughs> right? I mean, no, it wouldn't happen here. But in other churches where I've been, I've seen occasions where we can act a little spiritually arrogant. And they weren't going to hear from this formerly blind man who'd had a miracle in his life, right? Only the touch of God on his life. Could, are we still teachable? I'm just asking. I, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but if we're still teachable, God can do a new thing for his glory and we'll learn from it. We'll grow from it. We'll be challenged by it. Instead of, oh, yeah, preacher, we've never done it that way. I don't know about that. I probably have to have a committee meeting or something. Right? 
I mean, again, probably not here, but in some other places where I've been. So last lesson, quick lesson, let's move on. Uh, In chapter 9, outcasts are pursued. Listen to this. Outcasts are pursued by Jesus. Pick it up at verse 35. Verse 35 there in chapter 9, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he says to now the formerly, formerly blind man. In other words, now this man is a seeing man. And he's seeing the one who healed him. And Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this man who just was healed by this very one speaking to him says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? I mean, I'm just double checking, right? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says to him, oh, listen to this phrase. Listen to this phrase. You have seen him. Can you, you and I can't, we can't imagine what it was like never to see anything since the day we were born and whatever age this fellow was. Don't you know he had longed to hear that phrase? You have seen him. Oh, I wanted to see you, Jesus. And now I'm looking eyes to eyes, face to face. I'm looking into your face. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you, he said. And look at the man's response. Lord, whoa, time out. What happened from verse 36 to verse 38? Jesus went from sir, healer, to Lord and master, right? I mean, you see the transformation in this man's life? He realized, I'm standing in the very presence of the Son of God. He was And so what did he do? He said, oh, that's pretty cool. See you, dude. No, he says he worshiped him, right? He didn't take lightly the presence or the power of God in his own life and in the lives of these that have gathered here today. So this is the backdrop of the teaching on abundant life, John 10, 10. So I want us to pick up our learning at verse 7 now over in John chapter 10. And consider together four truths about abundant life. Four truths about abundant life. Number one, abundant life has only one entrance. It's not like Hillcrest Baptist Church. <laughs> you can come here, man. You can come in over there. You can come in back there. You can come in over. You can come in over. Man, there are multi entrances here, right? But abundant life has only one entrance. Verse seven. So Jesus, began, uh, Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus uses the metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep to describe the kind of relationship he wants us to have with him. He brings clarity to how one enters the sheepfold or the community of faith or the church, which is who we are here today. He says in verse 9, I am the door. There is only one way to align your life path with God's desire of abundant life for you, and that's by placing your faith or trusting in Jesus Christ exclusively. And that's very, very important, that last word, exclusively. Because you know and I know people we work with and people we maybe are in our families or whatever, they'll take your Jesus and they'll take their Buddha and they'll take their Mohammed. They'll take all of them just in case one of them's right. And Jesus said, no, I'm not one way. 
I am the way, the truth, the life. There is one door, and, and you know, it's interesting to me, and we get accused for being kind of narrow-minded when we preach this kind of a message where there's only one way. And it's interesting because in science, truth is narrow. In math, truth is narrow. But in spiritual things, well, we want to keep it all broad perspective here, Lewis. Now, let's don't get carried away with this. And yet when Jesus clearly indicates, I am the way, I am the door, I, there's only one way, we struggle to receive that. And then in verse uh, 10, he informs his sheep of the kind of life you can expect as you follow him. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly or have abundant life. That word literally means exceedingly above the greatest abundance or super abundantly, you might say. So then Jesus goes on to elaborate his intentionality that this was his plan from the beginning to provide this kind of life for all who would follow him. Second truth is abundant life is made possible through the sacrifice of the good shepherd. Pick up the story at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Notice this, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep, flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. We see here the contrast that Jesus gives of the sacrifice of the good shepherd against the fickleness of a hired hand. The hired hand runs away when times get tough. The good shepherd provides the sacrificial requirements that lead to security and protection for all who follow him. Again, look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This is Jesus speaking in verse 17, verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down out of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus said, they did not drag me kicking and screaming to Calvary's cross to pay the price for your sins and my sins. No, Jesus willingly went to that cross and laid himself on that cross and yes he was crucified dead and buried and three days later he rose again victorious over death victorious over the grave and now able with all authority to promise to us forgiveness and life abundant and eternal so some may think and hear that and say well does that mean then we won't have difficulties if we follow Jesus let's stay with the metaphor do sheep still get into briar patches even with a shepherd? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're pretty good at that. Now, we'll still have difficulties. Are there still wolves even though they have a shepherd? Of course there is. But Jesus, listen, Jesus promises to stand with us and for us when we face difficulties in life. We, what's our part in this relationship? We are to be obedient and engaged in the future that he has for us as his followers. So we see abundant life has only one way, one, only one entrance. Abundant life is made possible through the sacrifice of the good shepherd and abundant life includes the sweet relationship of the shepherd to the sheep. And yes, those are intentional words. The sweet relationship. It's interesting. Some of you guys are crazy about your wife. I can tell by the way you look at her. It's a sweet relationship, isn't it? I mean, she's put up with a bunch of junk out of you for a lot of years, hasn't she? Uh, yeah, it's a sweet relationship. 
You've messed up huge, haven't you? Okay, the line forms behind me, right? But it's still a sweet relationship. This year, 42 years. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Becky, (laughs) for that sweet relationship. But Jesus is talking here about the sweet relationship of him with us. He says in in, uh, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. That word know there, obviously, is not just a, a mental or intellectual knowledge about Jesus. It's really, it's rather intimacy. It's love. It's peace. It's God-grounded confidence in whatever life brings. And boy, life can bring some of those weeks, can't, he? can't it? <laughs> some of those difficult days. Some of those challenging Um, words that we receive this closeness of the shepherd to his sheep this sweet relationship includes the most intimate of relationships between us and jesus i I, we 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 sang a song i was thinking about this we're singing this song this morning jesus you are all i need okay give somebody your boat (laughs) oh hold on man yeah jesus you are all i need let's give away the rv honey what well, there's missionaries that could use it. Well, yeah, but not the RV. Jesus, you are all I need. You see the sweet relationship? That's what Jesus was talking about. And, and anything that comes between us hinders that sweet relationship that he wants us to know and to live and to walk in every day. We're challenged to pursue the focused and engaged life that was modeled by Jesus. We must learn about Jesus And his ways, if we're going to engage in the life of obedience and abundance that he has for us. It's about becoming more like him. John, the beloved disciple, writes of this love relationship within the community of faith. Using again Jesus as the example, he says in John 15, verses 13 and 14, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he describes what he means by friends. I love verse 14 of this. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Oh, Jesus says, you are my friends. You show others you are my friends when you carry out the commands I've given you. Some of you are military. Some of you are uh, retired military. You understand the concept of commands, right? Can you imagine being in the military? And a commanding officer gives you an order. Soldier, do whatever the command is. And your response is, sir, I will form a committee. I will study what that means in the Greek. I will look into it deeply. We're hoping to walk the deeper life here, sir. And he'll say, you are out. Right? He's not going to have you form a committee and study his command. He wants you to carry out the command, right? And so that command about go therefore... And make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Still stands. For who? For us. For his church. It's his command. It's not up for collaboration or conversation or dialogue or deep study. It's application. Let's get busy doing it, right? Our love and knowledge of Jesus is seen in our engagement or in our actions of obedience to his commands. But the good news is the last truth. Abundant life isn't just about us. 
No, it's not. Look at verse 16. Abundant life has a purpose for the future. Verse 16, Jesus said, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. See, this verse brings hope to all, right? It brings hope to all who would hear and who would respond in surrendered faith. Jesus does not limit the opportunity uh, to be a part of the community of faith to only one people group or one denomination, said the denominational worker, right? He's not just about making little Southern Baptists. He's about making followers of him who will change this world and bring, bring others into the kingdom. Here's where Jesus begins to help us see the future he envisions, where all people of various backgrounds and ethnicities can become one community of faith. He says there will be one flock and one shepherd. The question for you and me is, will we engage with him in his redemptive purpose? Engagement means not sitting around talking about it. Engagement means I'm in. Count me in, Jesus. I think the Wiggins family recently who had been doing an amazing job serving, right? In this community. But they heard a new call to go to another land. Why in the world would you do such a crazy thing? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus called and they answered in engaged obedience to go. Father, I will go where you send me. Some of you have been working all your life, going all over the world, traveling and doing business so that you could come home and do what? Why not say, Lord, now, got all that work stuff out of the way, got income taken care of, Lord, here am I. Here am I, Lord, send me. Use me, Father. Oh, who? The neighbor across, oh, he's really cranky, God. Yeah, but I want you to go over there and start trying to reach him. To that lady down the street, oh, she scowls at me every time I drive by. Yeah, I want you to smile and love her. Why don't you have her over for dinner sometime? Oh, no. See, engaged obedience will push us out of our comfort zone. I I wonder, will will we allow our hearts to be broken for those who don't know Jesus? I have to be confessional here. Just this past year, toward the end of the year, I found myself wrestling with a question. Lewis, do you love lost people? Do you love lost people? Well, no, I don't love them. Have you seen them? My soul. Look what they wear, how they look, how they talk, how they smell. Right, right. Those are the people I love, Lewis. Those are the people Jesus loves. How many of them are you friends with, Lewis? Well, God, you know. I mean, I work with church people. You know, I got all these Christian people I need to help, right? Sounds a lot like an excuse, Lewis. Sounds like you need to meet some of your neighbors and some of these other lost people in the community where you live. You see, folks, I'm not preaching to you something that I've got mastered. I'm preaching to you a challenge that breaks my heart. Why don't we love lost people? If we do, then we'd tell them about Jesus, right? Will you just ask God to break your heart for the, those who don't know Jesus, who have no knowledge of an abundant life that's offered in him? And will we let that burden move us to self-sacrificing action? Whatever it takes, whatever it takes.
out of our comfort zones, into the real world with the gospel. Some of you work at the Federal Credit Union, Navy Federal down here. Take the gospel in there. Oh, no, they won't let us talk about it. Yeah, well, live it then. And when they ask you about it, then tell them about him, right? Oh, they asked me. I had to answer their question, right? Live it. Jesus clearly commands us to join him in this purpose, to engage with him in pursuing all kinds of others for his church and for his glory. But perhaps you're here today feeling more like the outcast, the man that was formerly blind. Jesus sent me to tell you he loves you. Way up there in the balcony or way over there under the balcony or right up here on the front row, wherever you are, Jesus sent me here today to tell you he loves you. He loves you and he wants you to know the eternal and abundant life he has for you here today. Maybe you're a Jesus follower already. I'll just ask you, are you ready to engage with Jesus in attempting gospel conversations for the forgiveness of sin and life eternal and abundant here and now and into eternity? Ask him to break your heart for the loss of this community. For those that you know and relate to, many times at work or even at home, I wonder, will we trust him to lead the pastors here in this church to encourage and disciple us to align our life path with the redemptive purpose that Jesus has for his church? Why not put your yes on the altar? Lord, here I am. Send me. Lord, here I am. Use me. Lord, here I am. I'm all in. It's a new opportunity, a new year. Yeah, I know we're a couple of weeks in, but there's still time. Today, will you engage with him for your future? Stand with me, please, and let's pray together.